Let me ask you, are you someone with hair? Well, if you answered yes to that question, do I have the product for you? Visit ModernMammals.com and use code MAYO for 10% off because the goal with Modern Mammals is to try and keep your hair and head natural. Since I've been using it, that's exactly what I've experienced. I very much prefer it. I don't know if I'm ever going to switch back. Probably not, to tell you the truth. And this means that it doesn't distort your pH balance and natural oils like shampoo would. Unlike shampoo, the products don't have a harsh detergent that suds up and dries out your head and hair. It's just lighter than traditional shampoo. And unlike conditioners, it doesn't leave hair limp and frizzy. Like, you don't want that Seinfeld in the shower like Rory McIlroy had it once too, where it's just like a, a mop on your head. You don't want that. And if you use modern mammals, that's not going to happen. It's designed to make your hair feel thicker. And my hair at the moment feels so thick, you can't even pull it out. Plus, the products are easy to rinse out, so there's no leftover residue to weigh hair down. So, Go to ModernMammals.com and use code MAYO for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code MAYO. Don't forget to use my promo code MAYO so they know I sent you. More details in the description. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 8. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined in studio by Cody Saftik. We got Pat Mayo on the sticks behind the scenes. Coming off the heels of UFC Vegas 7. <laughs> Bit of a disaster. I mean, I never had to make that cleared. never didn't have to make that decision about that OSP fight because COVID. COVID killed that one. Um, COVID killed a bunch of them. And then you got different fights got put together. And Dwight Grant got added, who was after the show. Then he got a new matchup. Yeah, we did we did the show on a Wednesday night, like usual, yeah. dropped on a Thursday morning, and all of a sudden, like I, when, yeah, I looked at I just looked at the car on Saturday. I'm like, wow, there's like two new fights here, and one is one of them is off. Bit of a dumpster fire. No doubt. So I, I did the same thing. I steer clear to the card. Did not watch it. First I mean, I lost a bunch of money on time. Hubbard, but I didn't get invested in too much more. But looking at the card after the fact, next day, just checking out the results. One thing did, you know what? Fights fell off and it was this and it's that. And hey, steer clear. The passing on the card was the way to go. But, but one thing was very clear and obvious on that. Agapova. Shit the bed. Oh. This is something that we, we 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 never pick at twelve to one anyway. So it was a pass. Yeah, Just we like told Tomaya. people not to bet her. Well, of course, but we're talking about was you going to get it by submission or TKO? But Patrick, one Patrick Mayo, right on that, and we kind of just brushed him off like Pat. We did. And for that She's reason, that bad. I think reason, I, those are exact words out of my mouth. Because I brushed off him on a very valid point. Why would you ever bet a women's fight at this point? Let alone as a massive underdog, just simply take Dobson, which was the move, which would have saved you if you had a bad night. That one play alone would have quite literally saved you. So I thought to myself, you know what? Self-imposed. <laughs> no, no, Mayo, Mayo force Mayo wouldn't let uh, Cody into the into the building without uh, without bringing a shoe. Yeah, well, I'm wearing Fake a flip news. flop. I wasn't gonna funnel <laughs> it anyway. So I thought I'm gonna do a shoe. It's self-imposed. I should do a shoe. But then I, like I thought, you know what? Fuck. It is the biggest upset technically in UFC history. So what's a dirty sneak? We can have a dirty barn boot. So oh, yeah. there we we're go. back to the oh, booty. That that thing is dirty. Dirty as hell. Inspect that. Thank you. Look at 
That's a barn boot, ladies and gentlemen. There made are, in New there's Zealand. There's like little danglies and New stuff Zealand coming leather. this thing. Thankfully, because it's stepped on a lot of horse shit in its day, <laughs> currently. As of yesterday, actually. Oh, boy. Mind you, uh, because it's airtight, the shit didn't seep to the bottom. And that's why the shoe should be relatively easy to get down. So, oh, man. Never do you want to self-impose a shoey. However, I was a little, we were a little dismissive of Pat we on were. a very excellent point. It was a bad card, passed all around, but what's fair is fair, so I think I'll get myself a shoey here. I, I'd like for us to like have an episode now, like, you know, let's, we'll, we'll roll into an episode where there doesn't have to be any punishments. That would be fun. Get after it, kid. I'm not like you though. I can't crush in one. It might. Uh, I'm gonna do my best though, because it was a it was, it was a bad pick. Come on, tilt it. Oh, he's, he's struggling. It is all foam. You got it. It's all foam. Hogarth you got is probably a you got, bad you got, choice. You got mustache foam. I, I I think that that's pretty good. I did not request this, by the way. <sighs> Pat demanded it. Stood Hogar in front of the door going, choice. nah, 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 nah. Okay. Fucking die to Ivasa. I mean, he didn't mess you up this time. It was Agapova. But maybe that means the Hoe Garden's working. This is very impressive. Well, I have you, and you're yes. watching this. <laughs> Subscribe to the Mayo Media Network, where you can now find the Dog or Pass podcast. The Dog or Pass podcast is actually going to have its own feed, audio-wise, starting soon, breaking away from the Pat Mayo Experience podcast. So be on the lookout for that. I'm just mentioning this now, so in like three weeks' time, when it completely transfers over, you're like, oh shit, I remember. It has its own feed. But all the videos are going to be up there. If we get to 10K subscribers by Monday, I'm doing cash giveaways. So fucking go subscribe to the show, share the show, do all that. Support your guys, Paul and Cody. And Pat Mayo. If you're watching the episode right now, you're in the right place. So hit the subscribe button. That's pretty simple. If you followed our link on Twitter or wherever else that we share the link, Cody is struggling over here. Oh, okay. That's because you have found the right place. Hit the subscribe. It's not going to show up on the DraftKings YouTube page like it has in the past. It's going to show up on the Mayo Media Network. Uh, I mean, it's new to me. It's new to me. But yeah, it's uh, it's going to end up uh, end up there. Hit the subscribe. There's going to be basically just all of our content and everybody in the in the community or the Pat Mayo. Uh, experience, uh, community, all of our content is going in the same place. Why don't we talk about some fights that are happening this oh week? Oh, my God, yeah. Are you ready? And, are you good? And we'll not be a shoey bet on this week's card. However... I, I, I'm not confident enough on anybody <clears throat> to, like, really... You know what? Last week's really card... Really put my Before my we jump right in. in, last week's card was a lot of, oh, I don't know, man. These are 50-50 fights. They're not priced accordingly. They're not priced accordingly. They're not priced accordingly. This week's card got priced accordingly and then got steamed. So now you're thinking, where can I find a little underdog that's going to be too juicy? And the favorites that you do like, they're all big favorites. So we're going to have to go back to the parlay machine, but... I hope that wasn't apple pie I just smelled. Yeah, I hope it wasn't shit in the apple are there pie. Any pies? I'm hoping it's shit on the boot and not in the pie. Luckily, so let's get into luckily it. pies are reef are fresh for every single card. There's it's hard to shit on an apple pie from last week's picks. No, because every card you come in with a bag of flour, a little brown sugar, <laughs> a little cinnamon. Of course, you got your apple. Just trying to mix it up. Yeah, yeah, baby. And then as the card progresses, you're slipping it in the oven and you're waiting and you're rubbing your hands and all of a sudden. 
Ricardo Lamas shits in your apple pie or Neil Magny. We'll talk to that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of potential apple pie shitters. But yeah, let's jump into it, man. Main event, we have Anthony Lionheart-Smith taking on Alexander Rakic. Rakic, a minus, one, or minus 275 favorite. Anthony Smith can be had for plus 235. Three-round main event here. That is very, very important. Um, Rakic, we have seen slow down a little bit as we get deeper into fights. Anthony Lionheart-Smith is the guy that he just is able to hang around. If this was a five-round fight and these odds were kind of like this, I'd be tempted to play him. But I think, Alex, we have never been an Anthony Smith program here. We've always been kind of off of him. Yeah, The fact of the matter is I think Rackage is a better striker, longer, more technical. Um, I don't really have much faith in Anthony Smith's grappling ability to take this fight to the mat and control it there. I think Rakic wins. Anthony Lionheart-Smith has been so tough over the years. I think Rakic wins by decision. But Smith, round three, before he was getting these five-round main event or main event spots, round three yeah, is when man. he was winning all the fights. His <laughs> opponents, he had the Homer Simpson strategy, just get absolutely pounded, and then he would come back in round three and, and finish the show. That is totally live to happen here. I would prefer, if, if this was a five-round fight, I'd be betting Anthony Smith even though I never bet Anthony Smith. But at these odds, five rounds, I would think like round four, round five, he'd be, uh, you know, he's he'll look tired, but he's still yeah, got yeah, enough yeah. in the tank. He gets you to that you're tired and he's tired, and then he prevails. Mm-hmm. But if he gets tired and you're not tired, then he folds up. That's what happened against Glover. But I hear exactly what you're saying. The issue is, is that he needs to get that third round finish. Simply winning the third round wouldn't be enough for him because he routinely drops the first two and then picks up the third round. It was different against Glover. He won the first two and then cardio fell off, but that's just Mm -hmm. because of that massive speed advantage and a bit of a height and reach advantage that he has over Glover Teixeira that obviously doesn't have over Alexander Mm -hmm. Rakic. But you're 100% right. The Elvis Mutop, sorry, the uh, Andrew Sanchez fight, he's down the first two rounds. TKO's him in the third. The Hector Lombard fight, he's down two rounds. TKO's him in the third. And the Volkan Uzdemir fight, it's not looking good for him. He gets him in the third. The Alexander Gustafson fight. I thought he was actually winning that fight, to be honest. Looking at the numbers, he was soundly outstruck. But I, I thought he was hanging around, doing his due, and he submits him later in the fight. This is a guy that looks like he gets better later in fights. But that's just not it. He, he's tired after the first round. He's tired two rounds into the fight. It's just that he pushes a good pace. He, he can you know, fight at range. He can fight in the pocket. He has good knees. He's got good elbows. He can take you down. He can try to take you down. He can grind you a little bit. His ground game's pretty sound. But all that workload just tires you. And then as he gets into deep waters, he takes advantage. Maybe Rakic, he could take advantage. Three rounds. I agree with you. Changes everything. Because Rakic, his cardio, it looks okay. You know, he doesn't exert himself totally. But in that Volkan Uzdemir fight, his last time out, he's definitely tired by the third round. And you just see the the wheels start to fall off a little bit. If that happens in a five-round fight, and now all of a sudden you have Anthony Smith on your back, it's live. It's live, and you wouldn't want Rackage at 275. No. But because it's a three-round fight, you got to think. <clears throat> Anthony Smith, as much as he does have the grappling advantage, he's not a very good wrestler. He struggles to get the fight to the ground. So I don't see him taking down Rackage. He's going to have to strike with him. If he does strike with him, especially for the first two rounds, I see Rackage having the advantage. Another thing for Anthony Smith that you look at him is he fights a lot of small-ass opponents, right? He fights a lot of guys that are former middleweights or fights a lot of guys that are just way shorter than him. Looking at his record, outside of John Jones and Alexander Gustafson, you know, 
the biggest wins of his career, mostly shorter opponents, right? When you look at uh, Alexander Rakic, he's 6'4 with a 78-inch reach, right? It's mm -hmm. a two-inch two reach advantage. And 78 just to 76, yep. Yeah, 78 to 76, they're both 6'4. I think of that nullifies a lot of what Smith does on the outside. Again, you go back to the Glover fight. He's just so much longer, and he is faster. He stays on the outside to pick him apart. That's not going to be on the table here. Rakic takes him. Now, here's a problem with Rakic, though. I was high up on this kid, comes into the UFC. He is reckless, and he is young, and he looks promising, and looks like this guy could go on a serious run in the UFC. <clears throat> as far as his career goes in the UFC, Francis Barbarossa, now released. Justin Ledette, now released. Devin Clark, it's a good little win, but Clark, we always talk about, you know, middleweight and this and that. Mm -hmm. And then Jimmy Manawa, who is also released, I believe, from Super the Chinny. Super Chinny, knocked him out with a head kick early 40 seconds into the fight or something. During that span, he makes literally no improvements. He's very raw. He's very green. In fact, the Devin Clark fight, he gets dropped in that fight. But then he ends up getting up, rallying, and KOs him with spinning back fist. But he looks raw and he looks green. His takedown defense looks okay. His ground game looks okay. His striking looks okay. But everything's loopy. Everything's wild. He's not like a technical sound striker. When he fought Vulcan, Vulcan is a technically sound striker. He just doesn't have the same output. Mm -hmm. So you would think that Rakic, who's sloppier, would just outpoint him. And that's what happens in the first round. The longer this fight goes, I mean, he can't take Vulcan down. Down. He tries lots to take down Vulcan, can't take him down, and then his striking's too loopy. Vulcan starts intercepting him, starts beating him. I wonder if Anthony Smith's not the better striker. He is crisper of him. He has a little more technique. But Rakic is supposed to make these improvements. So looking at Rakic's training situation, he's at American top team, Zagreb. It was in Croatia. Trains in Croatia. Hasn't left Croatia. Trains with the same Croatian training partners. I'm Croatian. I love Croatia. But... You, you would have to go to, like, actual American ties. 28. Like, make those improvements, man. You're top five contender. You arguably got robbed against Volkan Uzdemir. A lot of people scored the fight for Rakic. I bet Rakic. I wanted Rakic to win. I understood why he lost. But it was a very close fight. This kid is still only 28, young at the division. Why can't he be a future contender? Because he's not making improvements before fights. He's just kind of... He's the big dick in the gym, right? The big dog, I guess, is the real expression. But... Who's giving him rounds in the gym? Nobody. He's a top contender in the UFC, taking on a bunch of guys that are might might be getting ready for KSW prelims. Like mm -hmm. it's just not the same level. Whereas Anthony Smith, at least, he does have the better training. He is a better grappler. He has good gas tank. He has when when I consider Jimmy Manua, Devin Clark, Justin Ledette, Francis Barbarossa, lost a Volcan. Well, Anthony beat Volcan. But then also fought Alexander Gustafson and John Jones and Shogun and Tiago Santos and Hector Lombard. Like it, it's way different class. Guys. Yeah, right. But we have an expression on the show: friends don't let friends bet on guys that lost Anthony Smith. We're certainly not going to let our friends bet on Anthony Smith. If it was five rounds at this price, I would. Yeah, yeah. It's just a bad price. I got the feeling Rakic is going to get the win here. Don't feel great about it. He's not. He's not as good as I thought he'd be. And I think a lot of that is his. He's yet to just develop. Uh, similar to a Jake Matthews. How good could he could he have been? Mm -hmm. I think he could have been really good, but he just never left the confines of his own safe space, and as a result, he is good, but he's, he's mid-level good. Rakic is in a thin division, so he's upper echelon thin division, but what has he really shown you that makes you think like, yeah, man, he could get... Prior to losing to Volcan, people were like, man, he would give Jones a go. He's a fucking six striker. In hindsight, it's like, no, he wouldn't run a single round against John Jones. He's got a long way to go. Don't know he's put himself in a position to go that long way and achieve those things. So it's an interesting fight. I got Rakic. 275 is not a price tag I like. I would try to improve it by, like you were saying, take Rakic by decision. For as much as he is a crazy striker and he lands some big shots, Volcan's been in there with some great guys. He knows how to defend himself. He can take a shot and... or Sorry, Anthony Smith, sorry. Um, he, he's been in there with top guys. You know, he can wheel with the punches, and I think that maybe he survives those three rounds. Rackage picks up a decision. It's a better price. 
But outside of that, yeah, I think uh, that's pretty much where I stand. I see Rackage by decision around plus 240 out there right now. <laughs> plus 240. Yeah. yeah. So I think that tells you kind of all you need to know about that. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that that's that wide, to be perfectly honest. Anthony Smith has went five rounds with some of the best of the best. It's because they both have a perception of just going... Like, Anthony Smith goes out on a shield, right? Either he's going to finish you late or you're going to finish him late. But think about it. The Glover fight. Glover put him through a life-changing beating. Mm -hmm. And still, it took him late in the fifth. Early in the fifth, I should say. But it took him till the fifth to take him out. Um, But interesting to note that that was a COVID card, right? He got a life-changing beating by Glover Teixeira three months ago. Mm Mm-hmm. And now he's going to fight Alexander Rakich? Like, does that make any sense? No, no. Rakich was already getting ready for a fight. He was initially supposed to fight... uh, Nope, sorry. Doesn't have a fight listed. I think he was in camp already. But regardless, I I just think that it's a bit of a steep price tag. You would want Rakich at 220. You would want Rakich at minus 185. I think that's where I would cap it personally. 85 to 220. But 275 is, uh, he became the favorite. People steamed him because they liked him as the favorite. And at this point, you've probably got to ch- chase a prop or make him a parlay piece. Does he feel like a super comfortable parlay piece? Not to me. Right, right. Anthony Smith, for as much as we don't like him, how ironic would it be that he's the guy that shits in the pie? And it's very possible. So, grain of salt. We got Neil Magny taking on Robbie Lawler. Neil Magny, a minus 250 favorite against former welterweight king. Robbie Lawler, you can be out for plus 210. I know Robbie's lost his last three fights, Cody. Against the best of the best. Against the best of the best. Honestly, he went to decision against Cowboy. That was a really close fight. When you look through his record, you know, he lost to Colby Covington, one of the best of the best. He was absolutely kicking the shit out of Ben Askren. Then he lost by that bolt. And then uh, Ben Askren grabbed a whole. uh, Ben Askren was almost dead. Then he grabbed the hold of the bulldog choke and, and got the finish. He lost a decision uh, to Javier Dos Anjos, former champion. Solid, solid competition. Beats, uh, beats Cerrone. And that was a pretty competitive fight. So I don't think maybe losing the belt to Tyron Woodley, getting knocked out in that spot there. Woodley, We yeah. probably lost the best of Robbie Lawler. And trust me, on this show... I think Neil Magny's got to be up there with one of the most profitable fighters that I've had over the last, like, five, ten years. He's just usually undervalued. Yeah, under, he's not 250 more. So underpriced. Minus 250. You look through, like, yeah, you look through the course of his fights, and he's never, like, this big of a favorite against, like, against scrub competition. So it's, like, very, very alarming. You know, he's minus 150 against Anthony Rocco Martin. Uh, he opened at minus 140 against Robbie Lawler. Makes more sense. Uh, he was a plus 210 underdog to Lee Jing Liang. I know. So all, well, of, a sudden, almost all a of a sudden, the book wakes up and says, <laughs> we're going to drop a minus 250 on Neil Magny. It just doesn't make very much sense to me. My problem with Robbie, though, is that he doesn't attack the body all that often. I want to see... Somebody attack the body against. That's what Neil's shown to be his his weakness. He's a skinny, tall, lanky guy. Shots to the body, kicks to the body. Um, that seems to work the best. Robbie Lawler's volume isn't all that great. I feel like Robbie's path to victory is likely knockout or bust in this spot. He just doesn't stay active enough, and ne- nobody stays more active than Neil Magny. I guess you could have a situation where Magny's throwing his little 
pitter-patter jabs, and Robbie lands the big ones and wins the rounds that way. But man, I've been tempted. I've been tempted to bet Robbie Lawler by knockout plus 460. Robbie's got to get after it. He's got to get in there, and he's got to get after it early. Oh, I want to see him because, I, I mean, Robbie Lawler, before quarantine and all of that stuff, he's never really on the radar. You don't really see him. You don't hear from him. He like I have no idea what what the last five months has done for this guy. Uh, he had that like breathing issue in the past as well, so you got to factor that in. But this line is very alarming. Tell me, tell me what you're thinking about it. Okay, yeah. So with Robbie Lawler, uh, he's taking the fun of short notice as well. He's stepping in for Jeff Neal, who like got the COVID, I think, and then took it pretty hard. I think he was in like ICU. Anyways, good thing that he's back uh, back out. But yeah, with Robbie Lawler, not only do you not really know where he's been at. He's taking the fight on short notice. So with Robbie, even though he's so classically trained and just in great shape and can do it all, I mean, in terms of generalists, we always talk about generalists on the show. Like, Robbie Lawler's at the top of the top of the generalists because, like, he can strike with the best strikers even though he's not the best striker. He can strike with them. He can wrestle with some of the best wrestlers even though he's getting taken down. The guy's sturdy. He's sturdy as hell. Unfortunately, it's just like he's letting the later rounds get away from him, largely based on output. He comes at you hot. He always does. He came at Colby Covington fucking hot. He came at Ben Aspen fucking hot. He came at Rafael Dos Anjos fucking hot. But after that, I mean, it's just like Colby's just taking him down at will. And the Rafael Dos Anjos fight, he blew out his knee, right? At this point, yeah, he's 200. You're going to bet him. If you're going to bet him, at least he's a fat underdog. But in terms of at 38 years old, Robbie Lawler has been through the ringer. He was 19 years old when he made his UFC debut. I think his, he went to his girlfriend's prom, high school prom, and then fought in the UFC later that night. Like, the guy has just been around forever. So his 38 is an old 38. And now you see him fight elite-level guys, but he's letting the moment get away from him a little bit. So I agree he's live with the knockout in that he needs to just get at it. Neil Magny, for as much, as, as much skill as he has, the guys that have beaten him are just good strikers, good power, stand in the pocket, just go after him, go after him, get that knockout. Even guys like Lee Jang Lee can give him a good first round. Anthony Martin gives him a good first round. It's that Neil Magny gets better as the fight progresses, mm-hmm. and Robbie Lawler gets worse as the fight progresses. So if Robbie's going to win this fight, he's got to go out and get the job done early. <clears throat> One thing I think is going to make it just a tremendous amount of problems for for Robbie is like just going through it, right? So Colby Covington takes him down 10 times, absolutely washes him pillar to post. Can, can Magny wrestle like Colby? No. But does he chain wrestle? Yes, he does. And Robbie has more trouble with chain wrestling than try to double leg him in the open field. He will brick wall your ass in the mm-hmm. open field. It's get him up against the cage and suffocate him and start tying up his wrists and start controlling him. That he has more trouble with. The Ben Askren fight, whatever. Ben Askren did take him down. He slammed Ben on his head. It's a bulldog. We don't even have to talk about that. Raphael fight. He has a good first round, blows his knee out apparently. And then he's just target practice. No volume. Stands there. Very flat-footed. Mm-hmm. Robbie's a flat-footed fighter, by the way. He doesn't move a whole lot. Once he gets tired, he just stands there and tries to counter. But then we go back to that win, the Donald Cerrone fight. People are kind of 50-50 on that fight. Did he win that fight? Did he not win that fight? Very close fight. Very close fight. That fight on uh, July 29, 2017. Pat, does that, does that date recognize? Do you recognize it? Say, say the date again? July 29, 2017. Oh, it was my wedding. Yeah, Pat got married that day. Pat has since had two kids. of a full, fulfilling career. Uh, start his own business that has taken off. The last time Robbie got a debatable win. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, he's knocked out by Tyron Woodley. And prior to that is the Carlos Condit fight. I want to bring it all the way back to there for a specific reason. I'll get to it. I know I'm rambling, but I'll get to it. The Carlos Condit fight was a fat-ass robbery. It's his only title defense. He wins the title off... Uh, sorry, he beats Johnny Hendricks. He beats Roy McDonald in an epic fight. And then there's that Carlos Condit fight. He wins a split, but it's like clear-as-day robbery. 
That fight, he got outstruck by Carlos Condit. 176 to 92. Styled upon on Carlos Condit. Well, why is this Carlos Condit thing? Why does that matter? Colby Covington's 5'11". Ben Askren's 5'10". Rafael Asanio's 5'8". Donald Cerrone's 6'0". Tyron Woodley's 5'8". Carlos Condit is 6'1". Rory McDonald's 5'11". Johnny Hendricks is 5'9". Matt Brown's 5'10". Robbie Lawler is largely fought. Guys, roughly his size. He can line up those guys. Carlos Condit's 6'2". With a 75-inch reach. Just shoot him apart from range. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's a long time ago. Neil Magny's 6'3". With a 78-inch reach. Sorry, he might have an 80-inch reach. 80-inch He has an 80-inch reach and he's six foot three, right? Yeah, he's as long as you get. As much as I think his path to victory is tie up Robbie against the fence, he poses massive problems to Robbie in that Robbie's flat-footed and needs to enter the pocket. He's got to make up six inches trying to get into the... He's going to hit him and move. And then, then we go back to maybe Robbie gets him in the first round. The last time Robbie got a guy in the first round was when he got uh, Josh Koscheck out in the first round, and that was 2013. He got Bobby Volker out early in the second round. That was also 2013. The other knockouts he has is third round against Jake Ellenberger, fifth round against Rory McDonald. He's not really a first-round knockout guy. He hasn't knocked out a guy in the first round in seven years, over seven years. So to think that he knocks out Magny in the first round, I don't know. I don't know that he does. And if he doesn't, then Magny's output, especially from the outside, Magny's control, and Magny's cardio, man. The guy just doesn't slow down. So I get he's also 33. He's not exactly a young prospect. But taking that two or not, it wasn't quite two years. But taking that time off after losing to Santiago Ponzinibbio, who, by the way, look at that one, knocked out in the fourth round. Yeah. That doesn't happen here, right? Robbie wouldn't catch him in the fourth round because the fourth round doesn't exist in this three-rounder. And Magny would likely beat him at least two to one. So I got Magny. I think Magny by decision improved 250. And I think that you honestly look to live bet Magny after the first round because Robbie would probably that's have probably, a good first round. That's probably and then you might be able to get Magny. from betting Robbie Lawler by knockout. Right, well, then look at the live, yeah. Because either Robbie knocks him out in the first, you don't got to worry about it, or it's a close first round, and then after that, you got to assume, especially in short notice, Robbie does this anyway, especially in short notice, one would have to assume that Magny takes over as two and three go and uh, and eventually gets it. So so Magny, Magny by decision, Magny live bet after first round, all things I'm looking at. All right, but you're not betting the minus 250? Straight up? You probably get a better price if you just wait. I I, I I would hope so because as far as underdogs on this card and they're also nice looking underdogs right right as far as nice looking underdogs it's like okay let's just say Jiun Kim who's a big price tag it's like whoa so untrustworthy Bill Aljeo making his UFC debut against Ricardo fucking Lamas Ian Kudalaba just the most untrustworthy guy going Hannah Cyphers do you would you trust this guy at least with Robbie Lawler he's Robbie Lawler he's ruthless Robbie Lawler he was my favorite fighter when I was. 12 years old, him and Andre Arlovsky, because the UFC had those like ultimate knockout two DVDs. The guy's been around. He's the man. You'd love to see him win. You'd feel better betting him at 210 because you know he's going to give you something. Those other fighters, it's like they might give you something, but who knows, man? Christina right. Aguilera at 325, do you prefer that? <laughs> Cyphers, like we just talked about it. I, I don't know. At least with Robbie, he's got the sense of an underdog that's going to give you a bang for your buck. And Neil Magny's not a world beater. There's a path there. But my pick personally, I, I think the paths are there for Magny. Fair. Uh, we got uh, Alexa Grasso taking on Ji-Yoon Kim. Go, go, gadget arms. Uh, Alexa Grasso, minus 320 favorite. Kim, plus 260. What are you thinking about this? 
you got another fight where the price is just largely not very appealing. I mean, yes, Alexa Grosso is the favorite. Yes, Alexa Grosso should win this fight, probably by decision, just using superior boxing. She's a better striker. This fight figures to play out on the feet. I think she wins the decision. But 320 is just a big price tag, especially considering <clears throat> Alexa Grosso has always been touted as a super prospect, and she's been upset along the way quite a number of times. But the difference in all of those fights is poor Alexa Grosso. She is a nice technical boxer out of Mexico, good output, good volume, good cardio, and they've matched her up against Felice Herrig, who just wanted to take her down, did take her down, and Ronda Marcos, who she got a win over, but took her down multiple times. Tatiana Suarez, what? Who fights Tatiana Suarez and doesn't get taken down? Carla Sparza, her last time out. Carla Sparza with multiple takedowns on her. Literally, they've only matched her up with grapplers and just the finest grapplers. Tatiana is the best wrestler in the division. Mm -hmm. Carla is the second best wrestler in the division. Ronda is amongst the top five wrestlers in the division. Felice Herrick certainly at the time is probably a top 15 wrestler in the division, but they're all good wrestlers, right? So you never really get to see what she's most comfortable at, and that's just outstriking you in the open field. When she fought Karolina Kovalkiewicz, Karolina did not take her down, and then if you look at the numbers on that fight, she lands like 170 significant strikes on Karolina Kovalkiewicz. So the, when you do get to see her in a purely striking match, she actually outstrikes her 148 to 90. It's just like, but that, that's a fight where she doesn't have to worry about the takedowns. So now you look at Ji Yun Kim, and it's just right there, perfect for her. Here's a Sanda specialist. Here's a, she's a Wushu black belt. She's a Hapkido black belt. And she's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu purple belt. But I mean, her run in the UFC, Lucy Putalova, Justine Kish, Melinda Fabian, both of those Kish and Fabian were decisions, split decisions. Kish beat her, by the way. Antonina Shevchenko styles on her. Mm-hmm. And Nadia Kasem, yo girl. This is like the, the woat. Weren't we just talking about Tatiana Suarez and Carla Sparza and Ronda Marcos and like actual contenders of the division? Like it's 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 apples to oranges, man. It's not even They're fighting, not fighting the same level. But but beyond that is that Grosso has the most trouble with the takedowns on those fighters, right? When I looked at uh, Ji Yun Kim, she's sorry, not Ji Yun Kim. Hers, uh, yeah, Ji Yun Kim. She's shot one takedown in the UFC, and that was her very first fight against Lucy Podolova. She went 0-1 in that takedown, and then she never shot one against Kish, never shot one against Fabian, never shot one against Shevchenko, never shot one against Nadia Kasim. She will not shoot one against Alexa Grasso, and as such, she'll get outstruck, probably to the sum of 110-120 to about 70, and I think Grasso takes the decision and beats her. Could Grasso take her out inside the distance? Suppose it's possible. But Shevchenko and, and Lucy Putalova give her some good shots. She kind of hung around. She looks big for the division. She looks durable. She has those big arms. So maybe it's tougher for Grasso to get to the inside initially. It may get, Slows it down. The problem with her... But Grasso big, wins, and I think Grasso takes the it. The problem with Kim's, like, that's why I called her go-go gadget arms. 72-inch reach. She's got, like, there's, there's like, lightweights that she's got a longer reach than. Um, and she's obviously fighting a 125-pound uh, women's division. Yeah, she's got a six-inch reach advantage here. But the problem is, is there's not really any sting on any of these punches. Like, I don't think Fair. she's going to knock out. She, it, may, it may slow Grasso down, like, trying to work out the, the range and stuff like that at the beginning of the fight. But it's not like I don't think Ji Yoon Kim's strikes are going to really, really keep Alexa Grasso from entering the pocket and delivering strikes. So I understand that she should be the favorite. 320... Maybe a little bit much, I'm sure. If she, we just if, talked if she about turn, never betting women's she, fight ever again. She, I understand 320 doesn't on, look all that good, does if it? If she turns up on Cody Saptic's parlays, maybe I yeah, have to play she that will. Game. Unfortunately, that's the way this card's playing out. You have a lot of these 3-1 to one favorites. Yeah. We're going to have to tie them together. All right. We got uh, Ricardo Lamas taking on Bill Algio. 
Ricardo Lomas, minus 260 favorite, LGO plus 220. What's your take here? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough break for Bill Algeo, who's been around the game for a decent amount of time. But uh, you're, here's a guy making his debut, UFC, on short notice. Bright lights, first time. He fought on the Contender Series, but he lost on the Contender Series. Never got the contract. And now he gets to make his UFC debut opposite Ricardo Lamas, a six-time WEC veteran, mm-hmm. a 16-time UFC veteran. He's fought Jose Aldo for the world title at featherweight. He has wins over notable mainstays in the division. He's fought Max Holloway. He's fought Charles Oliveira. Beat Charles Oliveira. My God. That's a tough UFC debut, man. You've got to admit. And as accordingly, he's prized. Ricardo Lamas is a minus 260 favorite, and I fully understand it. You can make a total argument for Lamas being way past his prime. Here's another guy. We talk about Robbie. Robbie's 38, and he's got a lot of mileage. Ricardo Lamas also 38, and he's got some mileage. Knocked down his last fight against Calvin Cater. Knocked out in spectacular fashion. Maybe one of the knockouts of the year against Josh Emmett. How much wear does that take on a fighter, especially as they get older? I completely understand. Both of those guys are surging guys See, in But it's division. another case of yeah. competition. Did, no, he didn't beat Calvin Cater, who figures to probably get a title shot within the next few fights. No, he didn't beat Josh Emmett, who's a perennial top contender who could get a title shot, I don't see it, but is right up there. Mm-hmm. Merside Bektich was supposed to be, and he gave, he gave Bektich a good fight. The Darren Elkins fight. Like Darren Elkins is a top guy. Like, He's fighting the creme de la creme, and Bill Algeo has been fighting Jeff Lance in the local New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Lost to Brendan scene. Lognane. Yeah, yeah, and that was a decent fight. But but his problem is that he's um, okay. So he's got a cool little story, you know. Been training. I guess he said he started training in grade eight. And he does Muay Thai. He does Jiu Jitsu, and he spent a little time training in Thailand. He's a BJJ black belt. He wrestled. He wrestled in high school. Apparently, he was like a a state all American. So didn't win a stint t- Didn't win a state title. Wasn't a state placer but must have been in the state championship and, and, had, and was a, a, technically a, a state All-American in high school. He goes to Penn State, but not to wrestle. Goes to Penn State just to study and ended up being on the Penn State boxing team, which I did not even know was a real thing. But as far as like his MMA career goes in, he's just too long and lanky. He's six foot at 145 pounds. And so as much as he might know how to wrestle, it's just a weird, awkward frame for a wrestler. Ricardo Lamas is going to have, he's a more credible wrestler. He's going to have the wrestling advantage. This kid's a black belt. Got his black belt, I think, in 2015. He was awarded it. But Ricardo Lamas is also a black belt and a much better black belt. He's going to, I think he's just going to have him outnumbered there. As far as the striking goes, this kid, you know, he was on the Penn State boxing team. Everything's super loopy and he chucks everything and it's almost as if he just dips his head and throws it. Lamas should just be able to just clean, pick apart this guy standing. Should be able to take him down and grapple him when he wants. He has the advantage Quite literally everywhere. Why is he only 260 then? Well, that's I think, the number. I think, when you look through the card and you see all these other big favorites, it's surprising to see Lamas, the guy with I think seemingly the biggest Lamas advantages in terms of experience over any of their opponents. Yeah, I think that people look at Lamas as a similar case to Robbie Lawler. It's like, ah, oh, he's just not fighting at his optimal self anymore. He's fighting top end guys, but he's not giving a great account of himself. Cater just smokes him out of there. The Darren Elkins fight, he beat Elkins late, but he lost the first round against Elkins. It, it's a close fight against Darren Elkins, who he figures to have all the same advantages. Is he, can he out-wrestle Darren Elkins? Can he out-grapple Darren Elkins? Can he out-strike him? Yeah, but it's still a dirty fight. As far as Merside Beckett, Josh Emmett, you know what I mean? So now, when was the last time he really looked good? Jason Knight and Charles Oliveri. Fuck, he looked awesome in those fights, but they're respectively three and four years ago. So then you get the idea of, wow, he looked okay at 35, and 36, 37, and 38 haven't been as kind to him. Bill Aljo, maybe he's the young guy busting in. Maybe he can do something. I just don't see the pass for Bill Aljo. Because as much as 
well, he is a BJJ black belt. Again, Lamas is a better BJJ black belt, and that figures to be his biggest path to victory outside of a lucky punch knockout. But but Aljo stepping in on short notice. This fight would never get put together reasonably on an eight-week camp, right? But he's stepping mm -hmm. in to fill in for Ryan Hall. So all the problems that he figures to pose maybe with his jiu-jitsu, I mean, Law must be way ahead of it. I mean, he was training for Hall, and when she didn't want to engage him on the ground, he would have just stuffed the takedowns and beat him up standing. I think he can do the same thing to Aljo, but now he can mix in the takedowns to make it more decisive. I got Lamas here. Lamas feels good. Lamas feels safe, but mm -hmm. but 38, coming off a loss, got knocked out. He was also made to steal this guy. This guy could take a fucking hit, but he is getting knocked out by colossal hitters in Emmett and Cater. Maybe the chin's starting to go a little bit. Maybe the desire's going a little bit. Maybe all these different things in his life are starting to take over a little bit. I don't know. But if you've been watching Contender Series, the guys from MMA Masters that have popped up on the show, <laughs> dude, they're looking fucking Man, awesome. Man, his butt. And I think he'll be ready, and I think he takes takes Bill. He should take Bill to school, really. This week's, this week's episode, that guy from MMA Masters, what's his name? Yeah, He's Silva. Like, yeah, yeah, the guy, he got the guillotine, right? He's yeah. the Titan champ? That guy is, like, filthy jacked. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. Like he's, He looked like Jacques. That guy the takes full his vitamins, hair. for sure. Um... <laughs> That was a fun fight. I mean, yeah, and that guy fights at 145, so that's like his roll around every single day training partner, I would imagine. Yeah, no, honestly, I think he's going to be in good shape, and I think that it was a big spot for him versus Ryan Hall because that's a very winnable fight over a guy that nobody wants to fight, and it's a... It's funny, on Tapology, 76% of users on Tapology... Had Hall? Had Hall winning that. I can see it because Hall, we never think he's going to win, and then he just, oh, his striking's way better. Oh, nobody takes him down. So well, I mean, his grappling there, is the big X factor. If he can get a hold of you, yeah, yeah. like, you're in trouble. Lama Square literally else. has the advantage everywhere here. 260 makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. The one thing that you're saying makes what, that, that it does feel like a trap is that he's way safer than Grosso, who's 320, and he's safer than Rakic, who's 275. Mm -hmm. So why is it that he's a big favorite? Yeah, we get it, and I understand that. But why, why, why is more money coming in on those guys when it's just, yeah, it's surprising. Could be, could be. I have Lomas, but it could be. It's got the sense of a trap line. Magomed Ankalaev takes on Ion Kutalaba in my pick for fight of the night. I mean, if we can extend this more than thirty-eight seconds, these guys fought not that long ago. Um, I think Kutalaba got a little bit uh, dazed or whatever, but he was kind of doing like a like a fake. He's kind of trying to. Suck Ankalaev into a, a barn burner. And that, I think Kutalaba knew that's the only way he could win the fight. Uh, minus 335 Ankalaev, plus 275 Kutalaba. I mean, if if Kutalaba can bring him into a firefight like he did in the first 38 seconds and they have a referee who doesn't step in when, like, every it's pretty, pretty unanimous, unanimously agreed upon like that was a bad stoppage uh i mean kutalab's a bit of a goofball he always dresses up in green and faking that you are stumbling or hurt not a good idea with uh with a referee who's there to try to protect you so i understand i'm not like attacking the referee but like as soon as you know as, he's kind of doing this right yeah, it was a weird stoppage but and I then as soon as you know the ref stopped jumped in because he thought that he was actually dazed he's like oh what are you doing like he was obviously rope doping but the ref was not wise to that going on um i i mean it's hard if, if, if the beginning of this fight looks the exact same way as the last time these two guys fought do you really want to lay minus 335 i think ankle live is the better all-around fighter cleaner technique of course but you want to lay minus 335 on a fight that starts out hot like that that's risky business um 
it's hard to jump aboard uh, Kutalaba, obviously. Just based on the fact that he's a bit of a goofball. And uh, he is outclassed in just about every single discipline in this fight. I don't know. What do you think about this one? I I can't get on board. If Angle Live is going to get dragged into a, in a cra- into a crazy war like he was the first 38 seconds of the last time that they fought, I can't jump on board paying that type of price for a guy who's going to have that type of game plan. Yeah, no, I agree with you, and that was a crazy fight. I mean, it looked like just, oof, if any of these from Kudalaba land, Ankalai was folding over, and Ankalai have hit Kudalaba with some good shots, Kudalaba was taking them. So who knows how it progresses? Who knows how it could have gone? Who knows if that rope-a-dope technique would have worked? You know who invented the rope-a-dope? Very famous for it. One Muhammad Ali, also one of the reasons he ended up with Parkinson's. Rope-a-dope, bad technique, pal. Don't just take shots. Don't pretend you're hurt to get your opponent to get overzealous so that he hits you a bunch more. It's like, defend yourself. And I, I could never get behind Kudalaba. Listen, from what I saw in that 38 seconds, Zankalaev kicked his ass, and it was an early stoppage. Kudalaba didn't hit Ankalaev, didn't hurt him, didn't do nothing. He was swinging fucking fastballs like, holy shit. If they did land, they could have seriously done something. But they didn't land. Ankalaev was gauging it. He knew it was up. He was well aware. The other thing is, is that there's the element of surprise. The last time... Kudalaba runs across the ring and storms him. But this time, it's like, okay, if you do that, I'm going to take you down. If you do that, I'm going to have something ready for you. If he does rope-a-dope and he pretends to be hurt, he tried it already. You kind of got a better gauge. Yeah, it only lasted 38 seconds, but Ankalaev should should be in charge. Ankalaev is a legitimate prospect. This guy is the shit. He comes to the UFC, he's undefeated. He should be a sky's-the-limit prospect. He dominated 4 minutes and 55, 14 minutes and 55 seconds of the fight with Paul Craig and got caught. Outside of that, he's been back to almost fucking perfect again. Mm-hmm. The Marcin Pracnio fight, he doesn't even have to take him down. And Pracnio's garbage. But he just knocks him on the first round. Cool. Klitsin Abreu dominates Klitsin Abreu, who was known as the Russian Dare. That Dalcha fight, he just, his cardio checked out, his striking checked out, everything checked out. He front kicks him in the third round, knocks him out. Knocks him out later. Now I'm always worried about Russians getting tired. This guy, not getting tired. This guy's wrestling? <laughs> Pretty good. This guy's striking? Pretty good. He's got everything I want. He's never been knocked out. Think he beats the guys in the main event? I think he's still green. I think he's still got a ways to go. But whereas the UFC's rushing, Rakic fought a bunch of bums and then gets Volkan Uzdemir. And now he's getting Anthony Smith. And we're talking about, geez, he's still green. He's still developing. And Ankalaev, is, he's 28 as well. He's the same age as Rakic. He's in a better training position. He's getting better every fight. And they've given him winnable fights. This is Kudalaba fight. I just beat this guy. You want me to fight him again? Sure. And I'll beat him again. I understand 100% what you're saying. Kudalaba just throws caution to the wind. But Kudalaba, as we're talking about Ankalaev's a legit prospect, Kudalaba's a busted prospect. This guy was guy's the limit too when he came to the UFC. He just doesn't win. That's what he does. He shows up green, and he throws bombs, and he gets in your face, but he gasses out the longer the fight goes. His uh, European Sambo Championship, it's, like, it's good for stopping a few takedowns, but outside of that, I mean, he just muscles everything. Mm-hmm. His striking's muscled. His grappling's muscled. Everything's muscled, and he gets tired. And I always used to joke about those Moldovan supplements, but like whatever he, Moldovan supplements he is on, and I'm sure he is on something, it, it ain't helping his cardio, dog. He just throws caution to the wind. So Ankalaev would have defeated him. If, if the ref doesn't stop it, I think Ankalaev beats him. If the ref doesn't stop it here, fine. Ankalaev's going to get a chance to show that. And I think Ankalaev beats him. 335, it's just an indicator of, yeah, we, most people think he did win that first fight, and he'll do the same thing and win it again. 
It is a big price tag. I'd love to take Ankalive inside the distance, but Ankalive is actually a really smart fighter. He doesn't love to go out no. and bum rush people. That was Kudala was doing. That was him just fighting fire with fire. And that's kind of what Kudala does. He's a way more fight. just loves to take guys down and grind them, you know. And, and the striking is just like he controls the tempo and grinds at you. And that, he'd love to win a decision if it was up to him. And for that reason, I don't necessarily feel better chasing better than 335 with inside the distance or by decision. I think if I was going to take it, it would just be 335. That's not a great thing to have straight up. So again, it becomes a parlay piece. And it's a dangerous parlay piece based on how Kudalaba fights. But I don't see Kudalaba pulling the rabbit out of the hat here. I, I got to think my boy Magomed Ankalaev pulls through. And uh, he's the pick. You know, Kudalaba, since his debut against Misha Shurkinov that he lost, uh, arm triangle choke round three. Yeah. And Jonathan Wilson went to decision and actually his three yeah. wins but are his last, uh, his last guys one, that two, cussing. three, four, five, six hasn't been past three thirty four of the second round. Yeah, so he's not so going under to one decision. and a half. He's probably not under one and decision. a half plus one hundred. I see out there that would be. I still th- I think Kudalaba has just decided like, hey, my brand is I'm I'm the shit eating wild man in the hun- in the two hundred five pound division. I'm going to be the entertaining guy because he knows he's went up against some decent competition and knows that he probably can't hang at this level. I think he's just going to be an entertaining fighter, and I'm all for it. Um, I enjoy so, so what you're saying is, is if this was the WWF in like the late '90s, he'd be like Gold Dust, yeah. where he doesn't ever beat anyone, but it's like, oh, Gold Dust, here we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I feel it. I'd also like to point out that as much as he is the European Sambo champion and the guy, Misha, when Misha grappled him, it was like, oh my God, this is non competitive. Mm-hmm. And then when Glover, who's a BJJ black belt and got good wrestling, grappled him, it was like, oh, non competitive. Ivanka Laev doesn't have to head kick him this time. He doesn't have to throw hands. He could literally just take him down and do the same thing. I think he's got multiple avenues. I got to take him. I got to take him. doesn't really use because one prop that I did see that looked absurd to me. He hasn't really, ankle live, we don't see very much grappling from. 19 to 1 to win by submission. That seems nuts. You know what? That does seem nuts. That I, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're chasing props, at least that's a big, juicy price tag. 19 like, to 1. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That seems pretty absurd, to be honest. Mm-hmm. All right, um, so, based on what you guys have said so far, Cody. Yeah. Would you go a Lamas Ankalive parlay for minus 120? Yeah, I'm looking at an Ankalaev Lamas parlay. I'm looking at an Ankalaev Grosso parlay. And Paul's, see, he's making me think a little bit with Robbie. But honestly, prior to filming this show, I'm thinking an Ankalaev Neil Magny parlay. I think if Ankalaev is your, if he's your anchor and he's going to win, then those other guys that feel safe, you can get them all at minus 110. You can get them all. But if he loses, he fucks it all. So maybe I don't go fully on him. But, but honestly, he, he feels like he's my better guy. I feel like him, yeah, what you're saying, him and Lamas at minus 10 is good. The problem is when I tweet out the parlays, there'll be a Lamas, Ankalaev, Grosso, and Magni parlay. There'll be an Ankalaev, Lamas, Grosso, Magni, Rakich parlay. The longer you get, one of them's going to shit in the pie. By making Ankalaev the anchor, I'm thinking he's my least likely to shit in the pie. But it's not him shitting in the pie as much as it's Young Kudalaba breaking the fucking front door down, stealing the pie, and just fucking shitting in it because you know it's like Nankalev didn't do anything wrong. It's like Kudalaba is just an absolute wild He's card. Shit eating, shit eating wild. Yeah, but that's gotta not. You know, and if they fight ten times, does he land that shot? Yeah, maybe at least once. And geez, he is three thirty-five, so they got it priced accordingly. But like, no, I'm going with the ninety percent of the time, the better fighter wins. Ankalev is the better fighter. Russians have been good. Good Russians win. The bad Russians you always avoid. You know sums up. 
And they're not so great. And Klaib's a good Russian. Outside of losing that one time. You know what? Here's the other thing. Greasy yeah, theory was, for it. And he was up probably like 30, 25, 26 on yeah, all the scorecards. Yeah, and here's a, here's a greasy theory for you, just because I don't think I've done one in a while, and, you know, that Hogarth's speaking to me. But Ankalaev comes from Russia. He's undefeated. UC debut. Guy looks fucking awesome. Just came from Russia. So obviously the mob's like, you owe us one. You owe us one. Loses to Paul Craig. He's a minus 750 favorite over Paul Craig. Didn't take any damage. I mean, what a great way to throw a fight. <laughs> Doesn't take any damage. And then one second left. I got a moral victory in the bag. These mob guys are going to kill me if I fuck this up. Gives him the triangle. Takes the tap. And since then, he's a free man. He's allowed to show you what he's made out of. And he looks good, dude. Since, since he's been fighting legit. Yeah, he's literally he's looked good. bad for about 10 seconds of his UFC career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the been, Paul Craig triangle he's been dominating happens in slow pillar motion. to post in pretty much every other matchup. And then the last thing here is that Paul Craig actually has like the most triangle wins in UFC history. He does have so a very good if triangle. you're going to lose to a guy by his one, it's like getting uh, guillotined by Cody McKenzie. It's like. Yeah, shit's happen. gonna happen, yeah. man. The guy's got oh. a fucking Alaskan Solomon boat grip on him. The, the other thing is, I, when I showed Paul like last week, when I ended up winning, so I, I won two ways. You guys talked me when I wanted to have the huge dog on the card uh, with just blindly betting it. You said the only way she could win was inside the distance. So I parlayed that fourteen to one with that jabroni who lost in the first match at fourteen to one, but his opponent got canceled, so the parlay got wiped out. So I just got the straight fourteen to one, which nice. really yeah, turned out there to be you great. Go. But the other way I did it too was I played the like instead of just playing a straight parlay. I basically took seven fights and I did a four fight round robin. So I had to, you know, bet 35 times what I would normally bet, but I ended up cashing big on it. So Pat Pat won money last week. Yeah, would you well, think when about you hit us 12 to 1. By the way, she went off at like oh, it went off. Like closer to fight time I looked at it, it was like minus 1650. I was like who's still betting it at this point? Yeah, like who, why is it still you going? You can't add that to part, especially in that division. Oh, yeah. like, someone on. did someone dropped like 100k on her to win. And no, so while well, I oh, saw was someone like drop a Rovell 20, tweet, like, no, someone dropped, someone legitimately dropped twenty five thousand to win sixteen hundred bucks, and yeah. she lost. But I mean, that's a shot in the glass to like big betters. So like, I whatever, like it's still bad. No, fucking I mean, terrible, terrible. A, you that's know what? Just bad handicap. Yeah, yeah. You I, may have lots of money, but it's just like you're terrible. not. You're not who, finding who would, a way would, to. There's no, there's no edge there. The other thing is that she, the fight goes off. She's uh, sixteen to one, right? And then after the first round, she won the first round. I seen that she was 10 to 1 after the first round. So even though she banked around, it was That's just like, this is not what a 16 to 1 is supposed to look like. Let's just drop it to 10. And then sure enough, not so good. Well, consider but, this. Uh, uh, what was Pat you? was on it. Yeah, just blindly, because that's what you got to do. But when I bet Floyd Mayweather to beat Conor McGregor, he was minus 300 by the time I bet it. <laughs> that was, that's like a once-in-a-lifetime value. Will never happen again, sadly. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Let's talk about the first underdog of the card, Paul. Oh, it sounds like you like Coconut Bombs. He takes on Impacasangane uh, uh, from uh, Dana White Contender Series of fame. Uh, very recent fame. Uh, minus 125, Kasagane, uh Coconut Bombs can be had for 
plus 105. Sounds like you are betting coconut bombs. Oh, qu- wait, quick question. Is this a man, men or women's fight? I can't it's tell based by fight. these names. Mackie versus Impa. Yeah, I guess you're right. Are you, you were saying that there was the first underdog on the card. That yeah, you yeah, no, no, I agree. So when you look at the underdog so far, Anthony Smith, 235. Lawler, 210. Gion Kim, 260. Bill Ajeo, 220. Kudalaba, 275. So these aren't just underdogs. These are massive underdogs. Mm-hmm. This is just a small little underdog at best. It's plus 105, but at least here is uh, on paper competitive fight Matt Capitola versus Kinsanga. These guys are like welterweights fighting at middleweight, by the way. They they do not have the frames. You look at their sizes. These guys do not really seem like natural middleweights. No, and I think, well, I think that plays better towards... um, Versus uh, Mackie Patolo, sorry. Because even though he has fought at 170 versus Callum Potter, and then he's looked better at 185, I believe. It's just like styles make fights. And his style is coconut bombs. He likes to stand there. He likes to box. He's a good boxer. Likes to work the body. Has good variety with his hands. And he's got good power. Just wants to strike with you. When he's on the Contender Series against Justin Sumter, you saw what his boxing looks like against lower-level competition. But he looks good. As far as his run in the UFC goes, yeah, it's been a mixed bag. He looked awful against Callum Potter. I think we all can agree on that. But that's at 170. Back at 185, the Charles Bird fight, listen, he gets taken down early. Doesn't look particularly good. But his cardio is okay. Keeps the fight going a little bit longer. And he knocks out Charles Bird. Now the fight against Darren Stewart. It's not that he looked bad, but Darren Stewart's out grappling him. And then, oof, what a nasty guillotine. He catches him in. Here's a guy that's just, he had some bad spots with some grappling. Guillotine checks him. Eh, I don't know. As far as stand-up striking goes, that hasn't been his problem. It's the variables of MMA. Are you an MMA fighter? Are you a boxer? Are you a guy that's just trying to fight with small gloves? Or can you do it all? Mackie Patolo hasn't shown you he can do it all. The Charles Bird fight, he shows some grappling. And the Darren Stewart fight, he shows some grappling. It's just he, he, he's, at a, he's at a disadvantage. At least with Impa, it doesn't really factor to, to have much of a grappling advantage. He just he seems very, very green. He, uh, he played college football collegiately, and I think it was like D3. But the guy seems like a pretty good athlete. Mm-hmm. Is that when you see him, he very much looks like a good college athlete got into MMA and is figuring it out as he goes. He's a good mid-range kickboxer. He's not a good long-range kickboxer, and he's not a good short-range kickboxer. He's a good mid-range guy. He likes to stay in that mid-range, throw some light kicks, throw some hands, keep you honest. I think Patolo has a striking advantage, so Impa needs to work the ground game. Everybody else is having success against Patolo with the ground game. I just feel like he's raw there. He's a little bit green in that department. So as far as two guys that are both kind of perceived as being green and they're both kind of lower level... This guy's got an 18-day turnaround, right? Coming off Contender Series to the UFC, bright lights. Patolo's been here before. He'd be more settled. If this is a striker versus striker battle, and that's kind of what I'm figuring it to be, I think Patolo's got enough to edge this guy out, hurt this guy, do enough to get that decision. He's plus 105. We've so far taken five big favorites. I mean, I haven't this, really taken anything. I'm Right, and you can pass on a lot of these fights as well because they're not great prices, but uh, especially after last week's card, which is a total pass, top to bottom, at least here it's like, okay, there's some guys you like. There's just, Man, these not the Vegas cards are such like. a shit show, though. It's just yeah, like, let's go back to Fight Island. Those were Man, why cards. aren't we at Fight Island? Less cancellation. Everything was clean. Everything was taken care of. They had their medical staff over there. In Vegas, you have people running around the strip, and it's like, sure, of course, every single week someone gets COVID. Like when when they're when they're in Vegas, it seems it seems that's the case. So it's like you don't even really know what to bet, where to bet until until they actually show up on fight day because every everything is so kind of chaotic uh, while they're in Vegas. It feels like no, I hear you. But the last thing that I want to just throw out on uh, on. Casana uh, guy is that just going back to the fact that he's very green is that he's fought twice in the con- this is his last three fights he fights Devorius Tubbs who's four and three 
He wins a split decision over a four mm. and three fighter. That fight was one year ago. One year ago. He took a split decision over a four and three fighter. Then he gets his fight with Kalen Hill on the contender series. Wins. And they say, listen, I know we give everybody a contract. Quite literally, everybody gets a contract. This guy is too green, man. And they turn him away. He took a year off after they turned him down and then just fought Anthony Adams 18 days ago. And I can tell you, I watched the fight, I'm sure you did too. He looked really green, man, mm -hmm. and should not have gotten a contract. Anthony Adams, I know him, Sugarfoot, Colorado guy, Team Wildman, shout out, Thomas Denny, my boy. But like, come on, man. So, so now he's getting Patola, who legit earned his contract. He fucked up Justin Sumter. Came to the UFC, looked awful at 170. We're giving him a pass there. Maybe we shouldn't, but we are. And then, and then at least Charles Bird, you know, a guy that's a little more established, and he beat mm, him. Charles and Bird is a one-round fight. Yeah, and Darren Stewart's got some skills. Darren Stewart's beaten some guys. Like, these aren't just flub-of-the-middle, you know, Tavorius, Tubbs-type guys. So I feel like Kassana guy could be okay, but he's only 26, very green. He needs to lose a couple fights, learn from those mistakes, and get better. He's just right. a young, green, undefeated fighter. Give me the guy. I know it sounds crazy to take the guy with six losses over the guy who's undefeated, but Mackie Patola quite literally almost has as many losses as Kassana guy has pro fights. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get that when and we talk about... considerably higher level of competition. Coconut bombs. Yeah, yeah. And actually, that point I just made about the losses compared... that I meant to make that point, and we'll move on, honestly. But yeah, Ricardo Lamas, Bill Aljeo. Or sorry, it wasn't Lamas Aljeo. It was uh, Rakic, Anthony Smith. Like Anthony Smith has 15 losses. Rakic has 14 pro fights. Crazy. Crazy, crazy. But anyways, that's experience for you. I think Patolo's experience in this case will play dividends and get him the win. We got Mallory Martin taking on Hannah Cyphers. Mallory Martin, minus 325 favorite Cyphers, plus 265 Cyphers on a three-fight losing streak. I mean, they're throwing her to the Wolves, though. Are they? Is this well, the no. Wolves? Is this considered I mean, the Wolves poll? It felt like, I mean, they've been setting her up in fights that I feel like she was on a They have been throwing her to the she, Wolves. She was on a decent run. I suppose. She was on a decent run. She was... Uh, you know, she had the Pollyanna Vienna busted prospect. Yeah, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about her in a bit. <laughs> never really belonged here in the division. Angela mm -hmm. Hill, Mackenzie Dern. I mean, she was thrown to Dern to lose. And Hill. And thing. then Agapova. That one looked less bad until Shayna Dobson did what Shayna Dobson did last week. So, yeah, Mallory Martin coming off of, you know, a second round of rear naked joke loss to Verna Jandadroba, obviously one of the best grapplers yeah, in the that's division. Excusable. That's excusable. Minus three twenty-five debuting, or uh, <coughs> six and three uh, UFC uh, woman in this division. I don't know. As we've kind of said on a lot of these fights, it's just like the favorites are just so juiced this week. It's uh, it's tough to really find spots that you can really that you really want. I, I'm definitely not betting on Hannah Cyphers after what I've seen in her last three fights. I'll tell you that much. But are we getting on board, Mallory Martin? Three twenty five. Like I don't know we we're just talking about Mayo. Just told Mayo. Mayo. Mayo dunked on us last week. And this, and this I mean, is, the, this, this is, is, is not a, a spot. this is not yeah. a plus nine hundred spot, but like we, we can't be laying chalk on on these types of uh, lower level women's fights. Yeah, no, I'd like to say if anything, you just dogger pass here because it's an absurd price to pay on this type of matchup. And yeah, as much as Hannah Cyphers hasn't looked good in her last few fights, it's better competition. At least as this represents a step down in competition. 
And yeah, I don't know. It's just more of an unpredictable matchup. I totally agree she should be the underdog, but plus 265. Mm, I don't know. As far as the three-fight losing streak goes, Angela Hill was a top contender. Mackenzie Dern, who she was looking good against. The fight didn't really last all that long, but she was looking okay against. And then, yeah, right, Agapova just smokes her out. That's a high-insight victory. Oh, geez, you know what? Maybe, maybe Agapova's not that good. Who knows? But all the same, at least she's fighting some of the top-ish fighters, some of the better competition available for her. Whereas uh, with Mallory Martin, yeah, 325 on a fighter who's 6-3. and three. She's effectively 0-1 in the UFC. Remember we were just talking about fighters who didn't get a contract on Contender Series? That was her. She didn't get the contract on Contender Series. She fought once for Invicta, won that fight by decision, and then gets Vernon Janadroba. You talk about fight getting tossed to the Lions. That's tossed to the Lions. I mean, by the way, she didn't very last very long against a Lion, did she? There's levels to it. She's just not at that level. Cyphers is fought and is also not at that level. I'd love to just take that dog pass. I really would. But Hannah Cyphers, one thing, I just can't get around. She's five foot one. Mm-hmm. And as much as she is tough and she is rugged, and Martin's only at five foot four, it's just like there's just not enough there. Tough and rugged only gets you so far. Martin figures to probably have a striking advantage and probably has a grappling advantage. If she doesn't have the striking advantage, it's enough striking to set up takedowns, grind on this girl, try to defeat her that way. I mean, Hannah Cyphers will give you a good go. She's on a three-fight losing streak. She knows if she gets if she loses, she's getting cut. She's gonna go for it. She feels better at 265 than some of those under underdogs that we talked about higher up in the card. But am I just chasing a big old underdog here? Because that's probably what it is. This is I don't a think I, I don't have the stones to drop right. money on Hannah Cyphers at right. this point. But the way we've seen some of these women's matches play up, it's like pass, pass, se- pa- pass seems like the way. But Pat made that comment last week, which we didn't really take that. What he said last week is if you were to bet all of these big price underdogs, would you be up or down? It's like, yeah, I guess you would be up. So if you were following that trend, you would you would just fade Mallory Martin. Again, there's a six and three fighter. She's a 66% win percentage. She's 0-1 in the UFC. She, she was considered too green to get a UFC contract just two fights back against Hannah Cyphers, who at least, you know, comes in and throws down. Tough old North Carolina girl bails hay in the summertime and fights in her free time. Like Eh, you could do worse. But I think if you were a smart man, you're, you'd probably take a pass on this one. So since the like the COVID restart, basically, since the people have been taking fights on short notice or whatever it might be, it seems like an awful lot of these either green prospects or young fighters who people just assumed were going to be really good have all lost. A lot of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been an old man's game, it feels like, during COVID. Well, yeah, no, and and I think that a lot of the time you think prospect, you think, oh, geez, you know, Mallory Martin, she's 26, and she's outside of Vernon Janadroba, that's a, that's a, who cares about that? She's, look, she's looked pretty okay, and she trains that elevation fight team. She's got good cardio. Her team is just on another level. Neil Magny's on the card, so she's at a good camp alongside uh, a top fighter. The coach is all going to be there. It's team camaraderie. How could you not? But there's little variables, and a little variable would be, her last fight against Janjanova is in December of 2019, right? So she's fought. It hasn't quite been a year. It's been eight months, right? Hannah Cyphers has lost all three of those fights in 2020. She lost to Angela Hill in January. She lost to Mackenzie Dern in May. She lost to Agapova in June. And now she's taking this fight in August. She's fought fucking three times this year. And she's, three they got times, her on speed dialer. You're like, you ready to right, catch Right, right, right. So she's hey, going to be ready, ready to, to go. catch this L? She's going to be ready to go. Mallory Martin might be a little rusty. Mallory Martin hasn't really looked all that good when she had full camps. And now she's on an eight-month layoff. And now she's over an opponent who's tough, Wiley, knows she's about to get cut. 
And mm-hmm. her only two wins in the UFC, Jody Escabel and Pollyanna Vienna, she quite literally just out tough them. Yeah. And she so, could out tough out. So Cypher's so, round one plus 1,500. Thank oh, God. <laughs> 325 says that she is a better favorite than Ricardo Lamas. Says she's a better favorite than Alexa Grosso. She's a better favorite than Neil Magny. She's a bigger favorite than Alexander Rakic. Like, that I'm not fully agreeing I'm not, with. yeah. Should I, she be the favorite? Yeah. Should this be priced closer to, again, uh, if I had to cap it personally, I'm thinking like 175 Mallory Martin to minus 210. Like, I don't... 325 just seems excessive. First, and 8,900 bucks. Like, she had better... On DraftKings, like, she had better get in there and take out Cyphers fast, man. Yeah, I'm avoiding that. <laughs> I'm yeah. avoiding that fight on DraftKings completely. Yeah, Zach Cummings taking on Alessio DiCiarico. Uh, Zach Cummings minus one hundred and five, Dicharico minus one hundred and fifteen. Basically a straight pick. Um, who you got here? Yeah, I mean, I really never like betting Alicio Dicharico, but because they're in the business, I'm making a pick here. It almost seems like a gaff to go with Alicio Dicharico. Uh, he, he is not impressive in the slightest bit. Again, he's another guy that I would classify as a generalist. He can strike a little bit, he can wrestle a little bit, he can grapple a little bit. He doesn't do anything exceptionally well. His chin's pretty good. His cardio's okay. He can will a win there, but as, as if he's fighting mid-level competition or a higher-level competition, he's just not in it. I like that, again, he's durable enough to stay in it, maybe grease out some rounds here and there. Seems like he's going to be more of a decision guy. Most of his wins in the UFC coming, obviously, by way of decision and not the prettiest of decisions. Is he getting better? Yeah, but he's already 30 years old. I don't think he's ever going to be a contender. I don't think he's ever going to be good, but he's, like, solid enough. Zach Cummings, when Zach Cummings was at his best, kicks this guy's ass. Zach Cummings ain't at his best. Zach Cummings at 36 is one of those old-timey 36-year-olds. But beyond that, Zach Cummings is like biggest advantage. He was like, he reinvented himself. Here's a guy that fought Tim Kennedy in Strike Force at 185. Here's a guy that fought Ryan Jimmo in MFC way back in the day at 205. Comes to the UFC and he's just no good. But he cuts down to 170. And boy, oh boy, Paul Shaughnessy. Is Zach Cummins a big welterweight? And he just can take a shot, and he toughs through, and he breaks these guys down. And now he's getting a little bit older. He's gone back to 185, mm-hmm. and I just don't see it. He, those physicality, yeah. the the threat that he imposed with his strength and all that, that's now wiped off the table. And he's just he's going to struggle to get the guys down. He needs to strike with them. He's a herky-jerky striker. He tries to set up his punches. But I think DiCirico, it's going to be a decision. I think it's going to be a close decision. The line's pretty well close here. Minus 115, minus 105. And I think DiCirico is going to be the guy that does a little bit more, is a little bit cleaner with uh, what he ends up doing in there. Cummings could come at him. Cummings could make this a dirty fight. If Cummings makes this a dirty fight, then maybe he's the guy that ends up getting the, the, the benefit of the decision. But I feel like DiCirico is just going to stay out of harm's way and just outclass him just a little bit, take the decision. Minus 115, yeah, that's priced accordingly. Funny on DraftKings, you know, it's an even money fight, but Dicirico is 7800 bucks on DraftKings, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, but beyond that, I think if you do take Dicirico, you'd want a plus money sign on it just because it's a close, greasy fight. So I would take Dicirico by decision. He's not a finisher. Cummins is durable. I think he beats him by decision. And uh, and that's how I would get a plus money, turn that's it into a dog play, so to speak. That's a plus 190, by the way. Plus 190, yeah. So that's that's how you turn an even money fight into a plus 190 underdog. I do not see him knocking out Cummins. Cummins just went three with Amari Akhmadov. He's yep. been known to beat guys later in. He hasn't been finished in three years, and that's when he was getting caught in submissions by top guys like Nathan Coy and uh, Alexander Yukovlev. You'll say, top guys, what the fuck you talking about, Coy? But like, come on, man, those guys are good grapplers. Nathan Coy was literally the captain of American top team, and Alexander Yukovlev, you know, he's got a submission game. Mm-hmm. 
comparing that to Alicio Chicharito, then what submission game? It's not, it's not the same level. He doesn't submit him. He doesn't knock him out. He would have to grease him. If you don't want to take Chicharito or Cummins, what's fight just to go to decision? It'll be it'll still be minus money. No it, way. It's, it's, mi- it's minus two twenty. Well, there you go. If you didn't, you know, on a card where everybody else is two sixty and three hundred, maybe maybe that sounds good to you. I I got fight going the distance. If you are gonna take either Cummins or Dietrico, get yourself a better price and take them by decision. My picks Dietrico by decision. But I'll leave you with that. Alex Bruce Leroy Caseras takes on uh, Kevin Kroom. Caseras minus two oh five. Kroom coming in on incredibly short notice after fighting two weeks ago to a five-round absolute war. It's plus 165. Bruce Leroy was supposed to take on... You know what? It just, it, just, it just got canceled, I think. Did it right now again? Yeah, well, it's not listed on Tapology, and right at the bottom what it says... It? Kevin Kroom versus uh, Bruce Leroy. And right at the bottom it says fizzled. So I just said the fight just never came together. Oh! Kroom might not be able to get his medical or Let's something. skip it. Caught it right in time. Uh, you know, it was it was listed twenty minutes ago. I'll research way, into not, this and I'll see what's up. It looks. I mean, I trust. Check out him. I, I trust Tapology when we look on that. Yeah. I mean that that that's gonna be a bigger thing for DraftKings when we talk about it later. Cause, yeah, because <laughs> he was gonna be seventy four hundred. Kevin Caceres is gonna be a minus two hundred five favorite at uh, seventy four. He's never been historically a great DraftKings player, but. I mean, you were gonna probably. He was gonna end up being the chalk of the card, so that yeah. changes everything. Let's yeah. just let's just move on. So, so I got uh, uh, COVID. COVID, as we were just talking I about think a second ago. Medicals and shit. We, we have things are crazy. Blue yeah, check I mean, mark. Guy took an absolute some, beating last some time. Some blue check mark person. Malk. Mark. Mark. Raymondi. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's legit. Yeah, he says UFC officials say Kroom will not actually be fighting now. Still looking for a replacement, though. Yeah, so welcome to welcome to all these cards welcome to COVID cards in Vegas. Nothing. We can't even get through an episode with the card staying intact these days. All right, so that one's off. Let's just skip it. We got uh, <laughs> the next one. I don't even think I put this one on any of our uh, graphical boards. Here we go. Because I, I I can't be hurt by either one of these girls again. Emily Whitmire takes on Pollyanna Vienna, minus 120 Whitmire, or plus 100 Vienna. The only thing I think that's going to happen here is somebody's catching an arm bar from guard. Could This is arm bar from guard. And I don't, know which, I don't know which side. Yeah, logic says Pollyanna Vienna because <laughs> she knows jiu-jitsu, but does she know jiu-jitsu? Because she, she, gets, she likes getting really. arm bar from guard. Just it's 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 you look at her jujitsu credentials like as far as what is on paper like what she's done in a gi and whatnot it's like oh man this is an exciting fighter for the UFC mm-hmm. she'd be able to just with that kind of skill set in a thin division she just could be able to win all types of these matchups and you look at the girls that she's been matched up against and they're all extremely winnable fights based on this significant jujitsu advantage JJ Aldrich not really a grappler good point style fighter striker and uh, yeah just. When she did get her to the ground, it was not a threat whatsoever. And then when she couldn't get her on the ground, she has no plan B, couldn't punch. Hannah Cyphers, you know what? She gets Hannah Cyphers to the ground. This is game over. What the hell is Hannah Cyphers going to do to her? Hannah Cyphers just bullied her. This five foot one, 115 pound Hannah Cyphers wasn't having it and beat her. Veronica Macedo, okay, here's a girl that has fought at 135, but I mean, it's just it's small. Incredible. It's probably small. 115 or. Is a Taekwondo black belt. Not known for submission game whatsoever. And it's an arm bar. Wouldn't you know it? Paul Shaughnessy, minute nine. At this point, you can easily write off her jiu jitsu. Non existent. I mean, 
it's not like, dude, she's got really good jujitsu. She's just not been able to get her opponent to the ground and get on top of them. No, she's gotten these girls to the ground and gone on top of them. It's just uh, she can't out grapple them. So with Emily Whitmire, she has a significant grappling advantage. But does she? Emily Whitmire is another fighter that just puts herself in these bad positions. In fairness to Whitmire, like her losses are to Jillian Robertson, top fighters. Amanda Hebus, and I mean on the on the uh, Ultimate Fighter, Rox, Roxy. So it's like she's fighting, no doubt. And when she fights, and when she, grapplers, when she fights Albu or Moyle, she like the bottom of the barrel. She's pulling up, but she's not fighting any middle ground. I, I mean, you know Vienna is? is the bottom of the barrel as well. You know what that is. What is that? That's scraping the bottom <laughs> of the barrel, pal. And that's that's what she's been doing. Alexander this... Albu, who's just, oh, man, karate specialist and just very one-dimensional and very green. And then Jamie Moyle, who I don't mind Jamie Moyle. That was a good win for her. I just don't know that she... See, she beats Moyle. I'm thinking, this girl's not that bad, actually. And she's youngish. She trains at Extreme Couture. Her grappling's getting better. I don't mind Jamie Moyle. And that was a fight that Vinny Magalesh cornered Jamie Moyle, and she was a fuck you, Vinny. So this girl could be okay. She beats Albu, who's awful, but she subs her in 101. It's like, this girl could be okay. And she gets smoked out by Rebus. But it turns out, Rebus is okay. So yeah, I, I don't think Emily Whitmire is that bad. She seems to, that the jiu-jitsu of Vienna would give her problems, but Vienna's jiu-jitsu hasn't given anybody problems at this point. So I think Emily Whitmire hustles her up and ends up beating her. I want to say she beats her by decision, just because even though both of these girls are winning or losing by submission... I just feel like they're both grappling is probably comparable level, and then it just nullifies each other. Wimbledon's got, I want to say, slightly better wrestling. She's not as strong as Vienna, but I don't know that Vienna's cardio is all that great. And as far as the striking goes, Vienna just she's very choppy. Wimbledon's not a no striking specialist herself, but not quite as choppy. Close fight again. Lines maker figured it out. I don't want Vienna as a dog. I would never bet Vienna ever again over anybody. No. And as far as a dogger pass, mid level fight, it's not dogger pass. It's a 50-50 fight. I think Whitmire is the better fifty fifty pick. And finally, we got uh, Sean Brady taking on Christian Aguilera. Sean Brady minus 400 favorite, Aguilera plus 325. I mean, our guy, Sean Brady, not exactly a finisher by any stretch of the imagination. Most of his fights go really deep, or he finds uh, a late finish in some of his championship um, fights on uh, regional promotions. Pretty solid all the way around. Good output. Um, I've liked everything I've seen from him. The only thing I don't love is the minus 400, but we've kind of talked about this on the card. I mean, the, the person that I would be most surprised to see lose, and well, watch, watch what ends up playing out, is Sean Brady. I think he's just on a different level than Christian Aguilera. Aguilera, it's, uh, it's, it's bomb or bust. He's going to have to get Brady, who has shown great durability over the course of his career. Uh, he's going to have to get him out of there early. Otherwise, Brady takes over. Um, pick is Brady. I'm sure I'll end up parlaying him with someone. Um, yeah, that's really all I've got to say. I'll have Brady parlayed on everything. And one, because I really like him. And B, because he's the first fight on the card. So if for whatever reason he does, he's fuck me. up. Yeah, I know, right. I'm just going to rebuild beyond that. And then Ankalaev becomes the new anchor with... The Lamases and the Magnes of the world and the Alexa Grossos. But to start off, Sean Brady's the anchor. I like Sean Brady. I've always liked Sean Brady. I don't give a shit that he's going to a decision. He doesn't have to exert. No. He doesn't have to overextend. He doesn't have to get some wild brawl. They haven't exactly given him the easiest fights. And he hasn't exactly looked spectacular. But... Winning fights is winning fights. And yeah, he's not looking spectacular, but he does what he needs to do in order to win. And again, I mean, Court McGee, 
you're making your UFC debut against a guy that's lived his entire life in the UFC. Like the guy is just like a very a guy who's savvy veteran. Death like multiple times. Yeah, he kicks a fucking heroin addiction. He dies on a in a hospital, comes back, beats opiates, ends up in a basement apartment in New Mexico, searching through the carpet for crystal meth. <laughs> Eventually wins the Ultimate Fighter. Talk about a fucking story. Court McGee's the man, and, Brady and he's also pretty much built to steal. Mm. Brady styles on this motherfucker early, and then, you know, you can't put away court. He works his way back in, but he gets the win. That's a good gut check performance. Again, this is a guy that's undefeated. I like when they lose, but that's a good fight. That's a good fight that you learn a lot from. Comes out of that against Ishmael Nordiev. Nordiev's got skills, man. Not only is this guy a fantastic striker, but he was also, like, on the Danish wrestling team or something ridiculous. And uh, you know what? It's going to take a decent guy to beat this kid. He's young. He's training at Hard Knocks 365 in Florida. Fuck, man. He's a decent prospect. Brady does what he's got to do, gets the win. I think he's a BJJ black belt now. His striking checks out. Defensively, he's savvy. The one knock on him is maybe he's not getting those, those finishes. Maybe he's not knocking at his opponent. But he's got a lot of pass here. Over Christian Aguilar, Christian Aguilar is a bomber. And I honestly think Sean Brady is just a better striker. If Sean Brady wants to stand with this guy, he just outpunches him. He picks him apart. But Sean Brady could easily just take this guy to the ground. And I think that's the easiest key, is that Christian Aguilar loves to throw them heavies. So, yeah, you could have struck this guy, but you're just playing with fire the whole time. Take this guy down, control him once he does get on the ground. I know what you're saying with Sean Brady, Jesus, last two fights by decision, and uh, maybe he's more of a decision guy. One thing that's kind of got me on that is that Court McGee is just very hard to finish. And Nordiev, Young, Wiley, you know, hard to finish. Outside of that, he was finishing some guys in the regional scene. They're just lower level. When you look at Christian Aguilera, he's got, these are, these are his pro losses, right? Darren Smith Jr. knocks him out 308 round one. Nick Piedman, it was a split. Piedman's a journeyman. Matt Sales, not really known for his power either, by the way. 151 of round one. Richard Leroy, you've never heard of, knocked him out at two minutes of round one. That's three times he's been knocked down the first round. Matthew Frinku, he goes the decision with in LFA. And then he got punched out by David Michaud at 414 of round one. His five pro losses, he's been knocked out in the first round four times, right? Mm -hmm. When you watch his knockouts, the tape of him, it's half shots, it's glancing shots. Just he gets hit and he topples over. Him taking on Anthony Ivey, should have been Phil Ivey. He would have put up a better fight. But the second he, like, went to go hit Anthony Ivey, Anthony Ivey was like, oh, fuck. And just, like, tensed up. Got hit and just toppled over. It was like, oh, shit. Here's a guy that just wasn't ready to get hit. Meanwhile, Sean Brady. John Brady ready to get hit. John Brady been hit. John Brady forged in fire, man. Like, he's ready to go. He won't have those problems. And Aguilar, that's his path. So as much as I, I got Brady winning, and as much as I'd want to make 400 a better price by chasing a prop, I don't know if I feel super comfortable with by decision. I think Brady outstrikes him, takes him down, beats him up on the ground. The longer this fight goes, he chips away at Aguilera, and eventually, I hope, takes him out, finishes him inside the distance. But yeah, if you're parlaying him and he's your anchor on your parlay, you leave the 400. You don't put a parlay... Or you don't put a prop on, on, a, on a lengthy parlay because that's just asking for trouble. I've had awesome props that just fucked up, and I wish I had the fire straight up. 400, not a great price tag, but if you mm -hmm. are parlaying him, just keep it keep it straight. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And when I looked at the props on that, over two and a half rounds, minus 145. Fight goes to decision, minus 125. So it's they like, think it's going to it's decision. It's 50-50. It's about 50. Yeah, you're uh, right. Slightly, yeah. basically 50-50 that they're... That they're offering, and that seems about right. I mean, there's no real edge there that I see. Why don't we jump into DraftKings? Um, we'll start at the top of the board, or Pat may be able to uh, ask us some questions. Yeah, I, I got some. I got some DraftKings questions. Let's so, go. I, so one of the things that I like to do, whether it's betting or DraftKings with you guys, and this is what I actually did last week because a lot, obviously, a lot of my picks on my parlay 
did not jive with what you guys were saying whatsoever. I mean, it jived with what you were saying, but not necessarily who you picked. I listened, and it sounded like you were like big upping like one side of the fight, then just picked on the other side. I was like, no, no, no I'm going to go with what they actually said on this one. So the way that I have it kind of breaking down here between the two of you, Brady, Ankalova, Lamas, Grasso. If you're going to go with the favorites, like those are the four favorites you feel the best about. Mm-hmm. We're like Racket, Magni, Martin, like they're vulnerable. Like they're your pie shitter type people. If you put those four people on a parlay together, it's two to one, which isn't terrible. But DraftKings wise, if you go to the top, it sounds like Brady, Beefo Brady is where you want to go, right? At 9,300? Not exactly a finisher is the problem. But like, yeah, but you're not, you're looking for. Right, right. People who don't lose, too. No, so you no, have Ankaliah, so you have Brady, and then you can go with your boy D. Chirico down at 78. Whoever Bruce Leroy ends up fighting, he's probably going to be the favorite. He's 7,400. You take him. Well, yeah, until we know, until guy, we know who uh, Bruce yeah. Leroy is fighting, the, 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 there's a big gap. Straight up, this. there's a good chance that fucking Bill LJO falls off and Bruce Leroy ends up getting mopped up by Lamas, but... Well, let's the week play out. Mm-hmm. Back to Brady. Not only do we think he's the safest guy on, he is the most expensive play, but through two fights in the UFC against McGee, he scores 109 points yeah. on, the, on the strength of 119 significant strikes, a knockdown, and two takedowns. Against Nordiev, only 47 significant strikes, four takedowns, and ends up netting 91 points. So you can mix points. it up. He can strike. He can wrestle. Those guys are both durable. Christian Aguilera doesn't have the same durability, and yet he's got multiple paths to scoring points Mm -hmm. so brady does feel like he would be a good play play. he he is a safe play and obviously he is the biggest favorite moving on that from that you got lamas uh lamas 9200 yeah he seems like he should be safe he is also a pretty good finisher maybe he puts it on bill Joe. i got like a deep down gut feeling about that one that i don't love grosso as paul alluded to 115 pound girls don't really have the stinging power she also doesn't really figure to use her wrestling very much so even if she just goes out and scores 100 significant strikes mm-hmm. straight up it She's ain't not, worth it it yeah. really isn't she traditionally has a 52 points scored per fight, but that's with losses and mixed everything in it. So, you know, she's been a traditionally lower score, not great. Ankalaev at 70, uh, at 9,000. Come on. Yeah, this that's a, probably fire, not that's a getting. fire fight. And if you're looking for a pun, as Paul mentioned, maybe Kudalab is the guy for the pun because if he's going to win, it's going to be gonna fast and quick. he's going to score like 100 points. Mallory Martin, I hope she has high ownership because I don't get this value. $8,900. That's a real, it's a real just knock on saw. Cyphers won't be able to grab. She'll get taken down and submitted. But she's been fighting such a higher level than Martin that I think she might be okay. Yeah, uh, Gig if, is listed. Hold, he's hold, not hold on. If, Cy- if Cyphers wins, how does she win? Decision. Does she score DraftKings points? No. No. no, because in both of her UFC I'd wins, I'd see her winning. I'd see her scoring like 60, 65. Yeah, well, if you just look at her UFC wins, so the two fights she's won in the UFC, she's put up seventy three and seventy points respectively, and it's it's mostly just one of those fights she had a knockdown, one of those fights she had a takedown, a knockdown. Yeah, I know, I know. Don't over, bank on, don't bank on those ten points happening every fight. Just what, just what, so y'all know, the knockdown was over. Pollyanna Vienna. So <laughs> this is what you're dealing with. Folks. What about Pitolo? You liked him. He's 77. Yeah, Pitolo's the kind of guy that's got the upside that he's going to throw. And listen, with Impa, Impa's undefeated and Impa's got a chin. But do we know he has a chin? Do we know he can get he hit to the body? Because even if he's got a chin, man, once those body shots start ripping him, who knows? There's a lot of unknowns about him that Pitolo could theoretically be very high upside. So I think that Pitolo is a good, you're trying to save money on the card, obviously. Pitolo's a. Uh, He's, he, he's got some good looks to him. He's kind of the only dog that I've been backing publicly. Yeah, he really is the only underdog that I've been backing on this card, and it's a slight underdog, but the $7,700 on, on DraftKings definitely makes it 
it a little bit worth it. Robbie, as Paul mentioned, 7,600. I mean, he could he could take out Magny. Magny has been knocked out. A, a Robbie Lawler style of opponent has had success against Magny. I just don't know if that Robbie's the guy, especially at 38. Anthony Smith, fuck, if this was five rounds, oh, baby, 75. I'd be all over really it. five good. rounds, but three but rounds, I think he's going to lose. Looking at that bottom end, if you're trying to get somebody on the bottom end, I think, uh, yeah, if let's say you're looking for sub $7,500, then you wait for... You wait for Anthony Smith. Have you have a look at? It. He is seventy five hundred dollars. That is good pricing. Bruce Leroy. Once he gets a new opponent, he's probably going to be sitting at seventy four still. Hannah Cyphers, as you mentioned, Paul at uh, Pat at seventy three. Even if she's not going to be a big finisher, she just gets the win and gets sixty five points. Man, at least you're not getting a loss and you were able to save a lot of money. And Kudalaba would be a big punt. Kim, if she wins, it won't score enough. Aljeo could be another punt, and Christian Aguilera would be a punt, but Brady's got a chin on him, so I don't think Aguilera is the option. With Aljeo, what, what's his path? Knockout? Lamas? Only the finest guys have done that. Submit Lamas? Only the finest guys have done that. It, it, it'd be a rough night, but at 7,000, he would be considered a punt, and I do like him better. He's got more upside than a Kim, or, uh, yeah, that's pretty much at the bottom. I'm already looking forward to next week's card. Like next week? Well, man, there are some. Bartos, Bartos is on the card. You know that he's good for about six takedowns. Oh yeah. Um, Julia Avila's take. They're giving Nico Montano the Julia Avila tri- uh, treatment. He's like, oh, you. Yeah. I mean, they're she's. They're probably looking for ways to get rid of Nico Montano. Didn't know. Uh, wait a second. OSP is. Didn't he have COVID like a week ago? Well, yeah. you get over it pretty quick. That's what I'm told. It's a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, no, I hear you, but that's what I'm told. No, stand by. Oh, oh my God. Michelle, Michelle Pereira is fighting next week. Next week's card looks pretty fun, but we're in America still. So. Yeah, yeah. So this, so this card, none, this card's none gonna... of the fights may, <laughs> most of the fights may not happen. Um, yeah, but just like just like how every it happens week. every single week now, just like every week, you could get Ankalaya, Brady, Neil Magny, like all these guys. Patolo, shit, he could score some big. Emily Whitmire, she's on the better of the cheap end, and then you have to take somebody you don't fucking want. Mm-hmm. So maybe you drop Whitmire to take unless two Bruce Leroy gets a new opponent and that opens opens up a For lot what of I just, salary yeah, safety. Yeah. But then he's also going to be owned. Well, then you drop Whitmire. So yeah, but then, then yeah, but then Bruce I mean, just Leroy. from pure DraftKings, like just thinking about it, in, like game theory. Oh, you could have Detrico if, then. It depends on who Bruce Leroy gets. If he gets some guy who sucks, then you automatically just kind of put him in. Yeah. Or well, you, or you just, or you just go to the other side, and that's your move. But let's say you play five lineups, you play four with Bruce Leroy. What you then need to do is try to figure out who people are going to own at the top, and then if everyone's kind of equal in terms of what you think the win percentage is, fade all the high ownership people, use the low ownership people at the high prices, and that way it doesn't really make that much of a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, see, the one thing there is that the assumption is whoever Bruce Leroy gets, you put him on, and he is so cheap, and you put him on, but. Bruce Leroy's not that good. And what happens is, is that because he just beat Chase Hooper, as it turns out, not that good, people are going to overvalue him. It doesn't matter who he got. Well, the guy's on short notice and he just beat Hooper. His career has been riddled with... And he's never been a guy that you really split, wanted to play on a split decision win over A split decision over Martin Bravo. A split decision loss to Gwen Wang. Uh, a relatively close fight against Rolando D. He went to decision with Masio Foley. Like... 
He hasn't looked very good against really low-level competition in oh, the he's UFC. he's shitting some pies before. He's shitting a lot of pies. And just because he's automatically 7 I, Honestly, Kevin Kroom would have been a live underdog. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to get Kevin Kroom now. And we might get someone shittier than Kevin Kroom. You might get someone better than Kevin Kroom. And I think it's an automatic bet. Oh, there's only a few days into the car. I'm just going to... I'll just put Bruce Leroy in my lineups. I'm just going to lock in Bruce Leroy. Guy has shit and a few pies in his day. Just say it. Just saying. All right. I think we're almost done here. Uh, just hit him with the PRP before we get out of here. Yeah, oh, I mean, it's favorite heavy. Before we, get to it, before we get to it, Cody, uh, as you were saying, that maybe you don't want to uh, always just tweet out what the PRP is. Maybe if there's a change to it or something like that, you tweet that out. Why don't we say if uh, we don't get up to 7K subs by the time Saturday rolls around, you won't tweet it out. Yeah, no, exactly. If we're not getting no subs on Pat Mayo's channel, then yeah, I, I listen, I'm indifferent to tweeting them out because at first it was just like, oh, sure, I'll throw these out. People seem to enjoy them. But also, now you get a lot of people don't watch the show. They just wait for the parlay. And you get a lot of people. They don't know what the PRP is. By the way, if you're still wondering, it's the Pogi Raw parlay. I thought we had been over this enough times. But uh, yeah, like I don't care. I'd rather you watch the show, listen to it, have some fun. You go in with a sense of, remember how we always used to talk about this forever. The reason that our show is a little bit different than the other shows is we tell you our opinion and we leave the choice up to you. Mm -hmm. You can take the knowledge. Jesus, it sounded like they like llamas, but they're kind of uncertain. They like grass. They might like, oh, it looks like they really like Sean Brady. You take what and you kind of mix it in with your own thoughts and your own beliefs and some of the only things you gather. When you tweet out a parlay and it's written and it's right there, there's no thought process. They'll just fucking bet that. And people have been winning money. People have been winning money. And people are happy about it. But I'd rather you just watch the show. I I'm not opposed to tweeting something out. But uh, I'd so rather just tell you right now, because this is what's going to end up being. Sean Brady's my anchor. Ankle Eye's anchor number two. Them together is not plus money, and I want some plus money. So I would tweet out, you know what, put Ankle Eye of and Sean Brady and put them with I Like Neil Magny. Then you can't tweet this out, but this is what I would do. i keep Sean Brady. i keep Ankle Eye of. I'd take out Magny, and i put one with Llamas. Take out Llamas, put one with Grosso. Take out Grosso, put one with one in Rakic. If any one of those, Rakic or Magni or Grosso, that's fine. The other ones would be fine. Sean Brady's not losing. Ankalai's not losing. Those become those two anchors. As far as the whole fight parlay goes, this is the PRP, it's going to be Rakic. It's going to be Neil Magni. It's going to be Alexa Grosso. It's going to be Ricardo Llamas, Ankalaev, Maki Patolo. What I end up doing is on the PRP, and it's the last one at the bottom, it's going to say Hannah Cyphers. <laughs> And I'll take Gicharico, and I'm going to take... Uh, so far, yeah, I don't know who Alex Caceres is fighting, but that's going to be lower end on the parlay. Emily Whitmire, and she'll be lower end in the parlay, and Sean Brady's going to be on on that higher end portion. So you don't... that That's what it's going to be. I don't see anything changing. The only thing that's going to change is Bruce Leroy's going to get a new opponent. I'm going to retape study all of Lamas and Bill Aljeo, because why is it 260? This still doesn't make any sense to me. And... Yeah, that's all I really care about. I'm going to watch some some Cummins and Dietrico again and Cypher's Mallory Martin. I don't know. You know me. I don't know watching a lot of these, but the, the picks I don't think are going to change. They got it right. The favorites are the favorites on this card. Outside of Patola, whatever, slight underdog. It's just a matter of which one of these favorites is going to shit in your pie. So try to keep the pie short. Try to spread the wealth a little bit. Try to hit some props if you want to. But yeah, I, I think I think this is a money-making card. Last week, it was so bad, I just walked away completely. But the week before that, it seemed like a money-making card, but it was also like, ah, it was my fault this for putting pretty, JDS uh, and Shadow as we've gotten As up. we've gone through Picks it, man, like, I don't trust a lot of people on this card. This is not, I am not excited about betting this card this I week. Think, I walked into I think it with three, a few three, ideas. Five, They've been shot down. Like, I don't know where I'm going anymore. I'm thinking three, five, and seven parlays are hitting. 
Okay. Beyond that, we'll the, the complete PRP as it stands right now. I mean, if you take ciphers off of it, it's thirty-seven to one. You throw ciphers onto it, one hundred and thirty to one. Yeah. Now let's say ciphers isn't on it. That fight's just not on it. And you likewise don't take the Emily Whitmire Pollyanna Vienna fight. Just take Whitmire off that as well. You take Whitmire off. Yeah. What does that pay? Just Whitmire. No, no, no. So. The PRP minus two of the three girl fights. So no no Whitmire and no Hannah Cyphers. Uh, that pays 20 to 1. 20 to 1. And just so that you're really covering all your bases, you take Alexa Grasso out, just bet the nine, just bet the eight men's fight. That's 15 to 1. And that's 15 to 1. And there's less of a chance of an arm bar from guard being what screws you on this fine Saturday. Ain't that the truth. Anyway, that's it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you to Cody Saftik for bringing down the fights with me, as always. Thank you to Pat. Um, remember, remember, you're here watching it. Or if you're not watching it, go subscribe to the Mayo Media Network. Um, yeah, that wraps it up. So for Pat and Cody, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Experience! Experience!